seated. We invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What are you seeking? 
They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to them, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Now Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. And so the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. The Gospel of John, chapters 1 and 2. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can draw near to you through your word, that we read it and it reads us, that we, we see the truth laid out before us, the word revealed to us. 
God, this morning I just ask that we would, we would have eyes to see, we would have ears to hear, we would have mouths to speak and proclaim your truth. We would have hearts that are open and receptive to all that you would show us in your word. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Uh, as you can see, we're, we're taking a little bit of a different approach in this sermon series, and, uh, and we're really excited uh, to dig into the, the book of John over the next three months. Uh, uh, from now until Easter, which is April 1st, we're going to be uh, just diving deeply into John's gospel. And uh, in order to get through it in that amount of time, it means that we're absorbing a lot at once. So some weeks there'll be a single chapter, on several of the weeks there'll be two chapters that we're looking at. And, and the idea is this, that sometimes, you know, you've heard that, that phrase, yeah, you can't see the forest for the trees, right? And, uh, and so sometimes we, we drill down so microscopically into, into God's word and God's truth, and we're just looking for maybe a word that speaks right into our situation or the thing that we're dealing with or, or what we're going through or what we want to hear, that sometimes we miss the big picture of the story that's unfolding, of what God is doing. And so, uh, so we're really embracing and taking this as an opportunity uh, to come to the, the account of Jesus with fresh eyes, to say, who is Jesus? Who does the Bible claim that he is? What, what miracles and signs did he do to prove that those things were true? What things did he teach and proclaim? What commands did he give? What is he asking us to do in order to follow him? Uh, so that we can really start this year just re-centered on the person of Jesus and just to, to, to know him better, because that's ultimately all that really matters, right? There's a, there's a point at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where, where people come to Jesus and they say, they say, hey, Master, didn't we do all these things? Didn't we do signs and wonders and all these incredible things in your name? And he says, away, I never knew you. And so what we see is that if you don't know Jesus, all the stuff, all the activity, all the busyness is just stuff. Um, and, and so we really want to invite you to come with us and, and to really get to know Jesus better over the next several months. We're really excited about it. And, um, there's, there's a couple things here in, in John's gospel. John, uh, his gospel was the fourth one that was written uh, historically. And so uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written prior to John's gospel. And we just came out of the Christmas season. And you know that uh, in Matthew and Luke's gospel accounts, uh, they share the birth narrative, and they share about the shepherds, and they share about the wise men, and they share about the virgin birth, and they share about the flight to Egypt, and all these incredible things that are true and powerful parts of the story of Jesus. Uh, but John's goal was essentially to say, hey, like that, those, those are out there, and they're powerful, and they're true. Uh, but his goal was really to say, hey, I want to write a gospel account uh, from my perspective uh, what I had a chance to witness and see with my own eyes in the life of Jesus that can be shared with Jews and Gentiles alike and bring everybody onto the same page to say, Jesus is the Son of God who was sent into the world to save the world from its sins and that salvation is through him alone. And so he's uh, very structured in the way that he approaches it. Uh, as, you, as you heard in the opening chapters, he lays out a bunch of, of things about Jesus' identity. He tells us so much about the identity of Jesus, and then over the next 20 chapters, he's going to unpack that. He's, going, he's kind of setting it up like, hey, here, here's all the stuff that I'm going to show you about Jesus uh, so that you can be looking for these things to manifest themselves throughout the story. 
the, the four Gospels, you look at it as you think about if, if, if four of us were going to write an account of this, the history of Riverside Church, uh, the things that we would share in there would be true, uh, but, but we might have a different emphasis. The one that I wrote would be different than the one Keith wrote. We would cover some of the same territory, but we would also share some things that were kind of unique to our perspective and our view. And the gospel accounts are that same way. They harmonize together. They tell the same story of the life of Jesus, uh, but they give us different lenses through which to view it. And so John is bringing us right to Jesus, right off the bat. And, and so there's two things that I really want to look at today. The, the, one is the identity of Jesus, who he is, what he does. And then also look at the identity of, of those that follow him. What do they do and how do they respond when Jesus comes into their life? And so we're starting in, in a way that will set the table, uh, not only for the book of John in this series, but uh, just for an understanding of who he is. And so it begins with these words, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He begins with this incredible statement, and, and, and there's a bunch of you if you want to throw them up here on the Prezi um, he says in the first couple chapters, he says all these things about Jesus, but he begins with this incredible claim in the first sentence, Jesus is God. It's an incredibly powerful and controversial statement, and, and we've grown up in a, in a culture and an age in history where we kind of grow up hearing that, and so we kind of absorb it, and we're like, yeah, 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 Jesus is God, sure, yeah, right? Like, um, but for them, especially um, the Jews, uh, the, the nation of Israel, they, uh, they held God in such reverence and esteem. For a man to claim that he was God was incredible blasphemy. And in fact, that's why Jesus was taken to the cross by the religious leaders. He claimed to be God. Uh, uh, especially around Easter time, you'll see a lot of these History Channel and Discovery Channel that have these, these uh, true documentaries about the real Jesus, right? And I'm always amazed when I watch these because... Uh, they'll borrow, they'll, they'll take facts like straight from the Bible. Like the Bible says this happened here and, this, and they like just accept it as fact as part of their narrative. But then the parts that they don't like, they just conveniently ignore. And I'm not sure how you can look at one document and accept it as absolutely authoritative on certain things and say that it's completely wrong on other things, right? Like you've either, either you're in or you're out on it, right? But they'll, they'll say, yeah, the, the time and the place and we, believe, we know this about Jesus from the Bible and stuff. But, but ultimately... He was just wrong place at the wrong time. He was just, uh, it was a tragedy. He was a popular, charismatic leader, and, and the religious leaders of the time got jealous of him, and so they, they crucified him uh, because they were jealous of the attention that he was receiving. Uh, well, by, in the Bible, that's not what it says. What the Bible says, and they were jealous of Jesus, but, but their big problem with him is that they felt that he was blaspheming. He was claiming to be God, and they didn't think that he was God. And that's ultimately the charge that they brought against him, and that's why they brought him to be crucified. Now, if you make a big claim like this, you better be able to back it up, like with a resurrection miracle, right? <laughs> and so Jesus made a huge, profound claim, but he was also able to back it up through the miracles that we're going to see in the Gospel of John. And ultimately, through his resurrection, he proved that what he said was true. The fact that Jesus is God sets up a, a, a line in the sand, right? With, um, it, it's common for people to say, hey, all religions are kind of the same. They all kind of teach the same thing. It's different paths to get to the same place. Um, they're, they're just different ways of the saying the same thing. But, but to look at Jesus and say that Jesus is God is a distinctive <laughs> claim uh, that is not the same to say, hey, he was a good teacher. He, was, he, he said wise things. He was a good leader. 
Uh, those, those are completely different things. If you claim to be God, you're either crazy or you are God. <laughs> There's two choices. And what Jesus did is he proved that what he said was true. It says that Jesus is the light. In him was life, and life was the light of men, and it has not been overcome. I love this, this picture because sometimes we think, again, in, in another uh, worldview in our culture, is that, that good and evil are kind of battling for control, right? And that, that sometimes good wins and sometimes evil wins, and they're kind of in this eternal wrestling match, the yin and the yang. Uh, or if you are a Star Wars fan, it's the Force, right? I just watched the most recent Star Wars movie, and I promise I won't give away any spoilers here, right? But, um, but I was just watching it, and I really enjoyed the movie itself, but I was thinking about the concept of the Force. It's like the, un, the overriding, like, um, uh, you know, it, 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 all of Star Wars is wrapped up in it. It's this, this balance of the good and the, and, and the bad, the light and the dark. Uh, but the problem is, is that it's, it's ultimately a really depressing worldview, right? <laughs> because... You can't look to a future when you expect the light to totally win out and the dark to disappear. The belief there is that, that good and bad is ingrained in everything and that they're constantly striving for balance. And so the best that you can hope for is a balance in the force. Well, that's not good enough, right? That's, that's, that's not a real sort of, hey, things will be good for a while, but just know dark is rising when good comes, right? But, but no, the Bible says something different. The Bible says that Jesus is light and the darkness has not overcome it. When you walk into a dark room and you flip on the light switch, the darkness disappears. And the darkness cannot overtake the light. The only way that it becomes dark again is if the light is turned off. Dark is not a power equivalent with light. Darkness is just the absence of light. But it tells us in the book of Revelation that there will come a time when there'll be no need for the sun or the moon because Jesus will be the light. He will saturate our lives. He will, he will fill every bit of it with light so that there is no more darkness. That's the hope that we, we reside in. It says the true light he gives to everyone. And the life was the light of men. Jesus has life within him. Purpose, reason, hope. Are you searching for those things? Are you trying to figure out, what's, what's my purpose in this life? What, what's my reason for existence? What, what hope do I have? What keeps me getting out of bed? The answer is ultimately found in Jesus. And really ultimately is found nowhere else. There's temporary things that may, may seem to satisfy, may seem to last, but in the moment when we die, a lot of those things evaporate. But Jesus, the hope that we find in him, the life that he gives is for everyone and it's lasting. We're told that he became flesh and he dwelled among us. This is amazing and profound and powerful. We celebrate it at Christmas with this word, Emmanuel. If you doubt whether God loves you, if you're like, man, I don't know, does God love me? He proved it. when he, he didn't stay distant. He didn't stay remote. He didn't set the world into being and then disappear. But instead, he came into his creation. He loved you so much that he took on flesh. He took on the weakness and, and frailty of our human condition and, and, and he accepted uh, the torture, the rejection, and ultimately uh, he was put to death by his own creation and he did that because he loves you. Our God is not a distant God. He is near. He's full of grace and truth. I love this. This is, um, this is so cool. It's the purest expression of both of these opposing or apparently opposing forces existing in perfect harmony. This is kind of the age-old riddle. How could be God be just and gracious and merciful at the same time? Either he cares about justice or, or he's just loving and he's willing to forgive and overlook sin. But, but how could he possibly be both? 
How can you both at the same time, you think about the stereotype, somebody who's, who's really legalistic, who's really all about truth, and uh, there's no wiggle room, right? They're rigid. Uh, they're, everything is black and white with them. If you're not for me, you're against me. It's very hard-lined. And on the other hand, we have the very soft, gracious people that be like, hey, you know what, it's, it's all right. You know, uh, you, you did a lot of damage and you did a lot of hurt and you did a little harm, but I'm just going to look the other way. I'm just going to show you grace, right? Neither of those feels right or satisfying, but in Jesus, we finally see those things come perfectly together. He was completely full of truth and full of grace. And the answer to this riddle, this age-old riddle of how could God be just and gracious at the same time is answered in Jesus when came, Jesus came and he said, I care so much about justice, I care so much about sin, and I despise it so much that I'm willing to come and take the penalty for sin upon myself. So justice can be served, but I'm not going to make you pay. I'm going to extend you grace, full of grace, full of truth. How awesome is Jesus, Right? We should, we should look at John 1. We're only 14 verses in and just like marvel, wonder. And there's a danger in, in our faith is that sometimes we can just become too familiar and accustomed with Jesus. We think that we, we know Jesus. Um, a lot of people made that mistake in Scripture, right? The, the Pharisees thought they knew who he was. They thought he was, uh, hey, you're not educated. You must be doing power uh, through the work of demons, right? The people of Nazareth said, oh, that's just the carpenter's son. Even his followers said, all right, he's going to be the king. He's going to overthrow the Romans, and we're going to rule and reign, and hey, let's come out with a seating plan for the throne room because I want to be close to Jesus. But nobody really understood him until he died on the cross, and everyone was scattered, and everyone was confused, and then he rose from the grave, and he gave them the Holy Spirit, and suddenly they had power and purpose, and they were transformed by him. When we look at Jesus, we see the Father. If you want to know what God the Father is like, Study Jesus. He's the embodiment of God the Father. And then we have this incredible title, The Lamb of God. Now, the Gospel of John is written by John the Apostle. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was in the inner circle uh, with, with, with Jesus. There's the 12, and then there was the three that were really close, and John was one of those. And so he, he was close to everything. He saw everything, and he's writing this account out of his experiences with Jesus. Uh, but then the first person that he introduces is also a guy named John. But that's not the guy that wrote the gospel. So just to, just to make that clear for you, right? This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was sent as a prophet from the, from the womb. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. I've been praying that over our son. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I've been praying that he would be filled from the womb with the Holy Spirit. And, and by God's grace, I pray that he will do that, right? But John experienced that from the womb. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he came to proclaim and prepare the way uh, for, for Jesus. And he called him when he saw him. He didn't say, here comes the conquering king. Here comes the prince of peace. Here comes the, the, the mighty conqueror. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says, this is the one we've been waiting for, but, but he's the Lamb of God. He is going to be sacrificed for the forgiveness of our sins. He's making a reference here to the Passover lamb. The, uh, the, uh, the nation of Israel, the Jews, they would celebrate Passover to remember what God had done to them when he brought them up out of Egypt in the Exodus. And God was sending plagues upon Egypt to get Pharaoh to let his people go. And Pharaoh kept hardening his heart and hardening his heart until finally he said, I'm going to send the worst plague. It's going to be the death of the firstborn. And he warned uh, the Hebrews, he said, hey, I need you to sacrifice a lamb and you're going to take the blood of the lamb and you're going to put it over the doorpost of your house. And if you have the blood covering your house, you will be spared from this judgment of God. 
but if you don't have the blood, you won't be spared. And it's this picture of Jesus that we're covered by the blood of the lamb, that by his blood that was sacrificed at the cross, we are covered and the judgment of God passes over us. It's an incredible and surprising title that's given to Jesus. And John wants us to see this right off the bat, that um, again, those documentaries that, that come out, they, they're like, man, oh, he's a good guy. Uh, you know, he just got caught up in the wrong thing. It was a shame. He didn't intend to die, but they took him and they crucified him. And it was a great loss because he was such a good teacher. And what else could he have taught us if he had been around longer, right? But no, Jesus fulfilled his plan perfectly. He knew that he was the Lamb of God. He came for that purpose to demonstrate that he was the Messiah, to live a perfect and sinless life, to do miracles and signs and wonders, to prove that what he was saying was true, and then ultimately to die on the cross for our sins. He knew that he was the Lamb of God. He wasn't a victim of a great unfortunate tragedy. He was behind it all. I don't have time to dig in all these deeply, but, but he, he's the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And we see that in the book of Acts, that when, when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, they were cleansed and they were made new. And his disciples became this incredible force that changed the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not the, the scared guys that were running around confused and, and misled that we see throughout the gospel. Suddenly they became different because they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he offers to baptize us with the Holy Spirit in that same way. We have all these messianic titles, the Son of God, the, the Messiah, the Christ, the King of Israel, the Son of Man, all pointing back to Old Testament passages which reference the one who was to come. And so he was revealing these little pieces. And that would be a great study to do this week is to look at those and see where those show up and see where they come up. And um, Jesus always, often his favorite title for himself was the Son of Man, which is kind of an obscure Daniel 7 reference. And so Make a note, look that up this week, check it out. Why would Jesus choose that title? Why was that the one that he preferred for himself? They called him rabbi, and he was a good teacher, but he was far more than that. He was zealous for the house of the Lord. He confronted those that would use religion for their own gain. And here's the interesting thing that um, he went in, they set up these, uh, the, the, the money-changing tables and the, the things. That was all in the outer court of the temple. Uh, it was the court of the Gentiles. That's where the Gentiles could come in and worship. And so if a Gentile, someone who was not Jewish, wanted to come and worship, they couldn't go in any further than that. That's as close as they could get. But when they would go there to worship the one true God, they were surrounded with the bleeding of animals and money-changers, and, and it was a carnival where they were supposed to be worshiping. And so, in essence, Jesus is saying, hey, you guys got to make room. <laughs> you got to make room in here because I'm bringing people in. The Gentiles are coming in and they need a place to worship. You can't set up shop here because I'm about to, I'm here for the, for the nation of Israel, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open the doors wide and people from all nations are going to come in and we need to make space for them. He was zealous for the house of the Lord and he loved those people too much to let them keep pursuing their own gain in his house. Sometimes love confronts. Sometimes love flips the tables. And we're told that he is the temple. Now, this is significant because this was written either right before or right after the destruction of the temple, which happened in A.D. 70. And, uh, and so the people would have been looking at it. Hey, we took us 46 years to build this temple, and to this day, it hasn't been rebuilt. It was destroyed. And so they're like, hey, where's our center of worship? We were, we were commanded to come here and offer sacrifices and worship God, and now where will we worship? And John's saying, no. Jesus let you know back then that, that 
You can tear that temple down, but his temple was raised up in three days. He is the new temple. He is our center of worship. He is where we go to commune with the Father. He's the one that we go to to receive forgiveness of sins. It centers on Jesus. And ultimately it said that he knows man and what is in man and he did not entrust himself to them. And so I ask you this, this morning, which of these identities of Jesus challenges your way of thinking? Which of these pushes you to think a little bit more broadly about who Jesus is? And you might have gone through the checklist and be like, yep, yeah, believe that, believe that, yep, yep, check, 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 check. But if somebody were to follow you around for a week and look at the evidence of your life, would they say, wow, what I see you doing, it shows me that you believe that Jesus is who, who John said he is. The evidence of your life shows that you believe that Jesus is the true temple, that, that you believe that he is the Son of God, that he is the light, that hope and purpose are found in him, that, that when I look at your life, I see that you believe that. Is that true of you? Is that the evidence of your life that you're living? When people were confronted with Jesus, they either despised him, or like Nathaniel, they came and threw themselves at his feet and said, you are the Lord, you are the King. Jesus kind of chuckles at him. He's like, man, you, you believe it? After I just told you I saw you under that tree? <laughs> you haven't seen anything yet. Wait till you see what I'm going to unfold. And he says the same thing to us. Whatever amazing things he has done in your life and shown you about himself, it's just the tip of the iceberg for what he's going to do and what he's going to show you ultimately. We have great hope in that. The second thing is that, that we see here is that uh, what are the people like that followed Jesus? What did they do? How did they come near to him? How did they interact with him? We see it first in John the Baptist. He said that he was sent to bear witness about the light. They said, are you the light? He's like, I'm not the light. <laughs> I'm here to bear witness about the light. And again, it challenges these, these sort of cultural ideas that we have that, that, that God is everything and everything is God, that every rock and blade of grass and every cloud in the sky and every person in this room is God. If you ask John the Baptist, are you God? He'd like, no, <laughs> I am not God. But he's there. I came to tell you about him. I want, I want to point you to him. They said, are you the prophet? And, and Jesus later on said, he, if, you will, if you will receive it, he is the Elijah that was to come. And I think John would say, hey, if Jesus wants to put that on me, I'm good with that. But I'm not claiming anything for myself. Don't even look at me. Look at Jesus. Do you exist to bear witness to Jesus or does Jesus exist for you? When you think about who Jesus is, do you think, Oh, Jesus is the one who answers my prayers. Jesus is the one who comforts me. Jesus is the one who directs and leads and guides me. Jesus is the one who gives me purpose. He does all those things, and it's amazing. But those are incredible byproducts of a relationship where we orient our life around putting him first. If we come to bear witness about him, if we say my life is about Jesus, then he will comfort you. He will answer your prayers. He will encourage you. He will strengthen you. He will lead you and guide you and direct you. But he doesn't exist for you. You exist to glorify him. John understood that. He says that the world didn't know him. There's something about our sin nature that makes us naturally reject Jesus. We're rebellious by nature. Uh, there's something about our sin nature that says that death is natural and resurrection is supernatural. That says sin is the norm and that to live a holy life is, is, is exceptional, is is, 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 is unbelievable, right? We have those WWJD bracelets. Anybody rocking one of those this morning, right? Sometimes, you know, people are like, well, okay, yeah, what would Jesus do? But I'm not Jesus. I can't walk on water. I'm not the son of God. I don't have super Jesus powers, right? Uh, and there's something that's valid and true in that, 
but, but, but the underlying idea is that, like, well, Jesus is, is equipped specially to do amazing things, and I'm not equipped to that, so I'm just, uh, just going to accept the life of sin that laid out before me. I'm a broken sinner. I sin over and over again. That's just my lot in life. That's just who I'm going to be. But Jesus says, no, that's not who it is. <laughs> that's not the norm. It says that, that to those that would receive him and believe on his name, they were given the right to become children of God. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you have the right to become a child of God. But the question is, are you living within that right? Are you exercising your rights? You have the right to vote, but do you vote? I think I've shared this story before. A couple of years ago, I, well, I'm always doing this. I'll call Comcast up and I'll be like, hey, here's what I'm getting. Can you give me a better deal? Because I'm that guy, right? And I'm always trying to work a better deal. And so I called this lady. We had been in our new place for a year and we had this promotional package and it was coming to an end. And so I called and she's like, well, I could give you something to be like two bucks cheaper, but then you wouldn't have HBO anymore. And I was like, and I really just want internet. Just let me make this clear. But <laughs> you know how they always work it where it's cheaper to get cable and internet than just internet itself? I don't know how that works, but that's what they do. So she's like, well, then you wouldn't have HBO. And I was like, I don't have HBO. And she's like, no, you have HBO in your package. And I was like, no, I don't. And I pulled the remote up and I switched it and clicked it. And like, sure enough, I was like, oh, I have HBO, right? So for a year, <laughs> I had the right to watch HBO and I never watched it because I didn't know I had it. I wasn't living in that right. I was renting movies, paying money to rent movies I could have watched for free on HBO, on demand. It's a silly analogy, right? But the, but the thing is that so many of us are children of God. We have the right to be children of God, but we don't live in that identity. We let the world identify us in other ways, and we don't embrace the identity that we've been given. We have the right to live as children of God, and we need to live in those rights. I love this. Who were the people that, were, that, that, that Jesus drew to himself? They were seekers, right? And, and so sometimes we'll say, hey, you know, Jesus didn't come for the religious people. He came for the outcasts. He came for the, the prostitutes and the, the tax collectors and the, and the sinners. And, and, and that's true. Jesus was drawn to those people. But the first people that see, we see coming to him are actually people that are seeking the Lord in, in a religious way. They hear about John uh, the Baptist doing these, these incredible things. And so they go out to the wilderness and say, like, I want to get closer to God. I hear you're doing amazing things. I want to see. And they start following him. But then suddenly Jesus comes and John says, hey, that's the guy you want to follow. And they go and they follow him. They're seeking. And as soon as they find out he's the Messiah, they go to their friends and their, their family and they say, hey, you know that guy we've been looking for, the one we've been seeking? We found him. Come, come check it out. And they're eager to go. They're seeking him. And here's the crazy thing. The, the, the tax collectors, the, the sinners, the prostitutes, they were seeking too. They were just looking in a different way. They were looking for God in the fleshly things of this world, in, in the things the, of the world to try and satisfy. They weren't satisfied with life, and so they're looking for joy and pleasure in these other places. And so they had a lot more in common than they realized. They were both looking for a real relationship with God. They just didn't know it. One thought they were pursuing it through religion. Another was, was pursuing it through hedonism. And it's, and it's an incredible thing. to. Are you a seeker? <laughs> Maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, I'm a seeker. I've been seeking the Lord in a very religious structure. And I see him most perfectly and clearly in the Bible. Maybe you're here and, and you're like, I've been seeking. Uh, I didn't know I was looking for Jesus, but I was looking for something. And I was looking in bars and I was looking in drugs and I was looking in, in, in all these things of the world. But now I see the truth and I realize that this is what I was really looking for all along. Look for the seekers. Who are the seekers in your life? Who are the people that you know that are desperately seeking for something? Because that something is Jesus. 
They might think it's drugs. They might think it's popularity. They might think it's business success. They might think, who are the people that are seeking? They will be the ones that will find. And you have the answer that they're looking for. (laughs) You can be the one to go to them and say, hey, I know you're looking. I see you looking. I see how hard you're looking for things. I have what you're looking for. Come and see. You might get an answer like, like Nathaniel gave, like, can anything good come from Nazareth? Could anything good come out of a church? <laughs> All you have to do is say, come and see for yourself. Come and see. That's our job. We're come and see people. Just come and see. He's done it in my life. I've lived in it. I've walked in it. I know that he's real. Come and see. They invited and they brought others. And they followed in simple obedience, right? Uh, they began with them saying to Jesus, where are you staying? They didn't say, hey, are you the son of God who came to take away the sins of the world? They didn't say, are you the the one that was prophesied by Isaiah? They just said, hey, where are you sleeping tonight? (laughs) And he said, come and see. For you, that might be, man, I've done some things. Can I really be forgiven? Jesus says, come and see. Man, can can I really trust that the Bible is true? Come and see. Just come and try it. Just wholeheartedly walk in it and see if it doesn't prove itself to be the true thing that you've been looking for your entire life. They were given a new identity by Jesus. They were known by Jesus. And, and I love in the end, in, the, in, this, in this, uh, the, the first miracle that, that he does, they had a problem and they just brought it to him and they did what he told them as fully as they could, right? They came to him and they said, hey, we're out of wine. I'm not going to offer suggestions. I'm not going to give you directions to the store. I'm not going to tell you that there's some grapes in the back. I'm just, we're out of wine. Jesus, we're out of wine, right? And Jesus says, hey, you see those huge 20 to 30 gallon stone vessels? I want you to fill them. I want you to fill them up. So he asked something of them. He required something of them. And it didn't really maybe make sense to them. But he asked them to do something. And what does it say in Scripture? Do you remember? It says they filled them to the brim. They gave, he gave them a simple assignment and they fulfilled it as completely as they possibly could. And he turned it into wine. And the overflow of that blessed everyone at the party. Most of those people didn't know Jesus was there. They didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know what Jesus had done, but they knew that the wine tasted good. And that's what we want our life to look like, Right? Take the simple assignment, bring your problems to Jesus, do the simple things that he tells you to do, do it as fully and completely as you can, and the overflow of the miracle that he works in you will bless everyone around you. They want to know where it came from. What has he asked you to do that, that maybe you're just taking a solo cup and just kind of like, yeah, Jesus, fill the, fill the jar, <laughs> fill the jar. Is there something else? I'm waiting for something else. Is there a different assignment? Is there something else you want me to do, Right? They filled the jar. I don't know what they had to do. They had to go to a well and pull up a bucket. They had to go down to the river. I don't know what they had to do, but they had to work for it, right? But, but they went and they did what he told them to do completely, and he blessed them. Man, I hope that, um, I hope that, that your appetite is, is increasing to know Jesus more. I hope that you're walking. Hopefully right now you're like, man, we didn't even begin to scratch the surface. There's so many other things in there. I hope that you feel that way. If, if you are that way, I want to say, first of all, we invite you to come back every week in this series. It's 13 weeks. If you miss a week, we put the sermons up online. You can catch up there, but, but there's something powerful about being together to do it. 
Uh, we're offering the, the midweek Bible studies. If you're not in a Bible study, uh, you can uh, come Tuesday or Thursday or Tuesday or Wednesday night. Uh, if you do discipleship or if you, even if you've never done discipleship, grab somebody and say, hey, let's walk through this together. Let's, let, let's study it. I can, I, I can email you the questions. Um, I, I want to throw this challenge down. If you really want to immerse yourself, do one week through the book of John. There's 21 chapters, three chapters a day for seven days. You can go through the entire book of John. We read two of them this morning. It took us like eight minutes, right? So 12 to 15 minutes a day, you can immerse yourself in the life of Jesus for a week and just see what it does. Come and see. Experience it. I'm excited about what God's going to do in this, and, uh, and I hope that you are too, and I hope that, that he continues to challenge you to put your preconceived ideas of him aside and just draw near to who he is. Let's pray.